Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. We are in part three of this series that we have been doing where I've been talking about 10 actions that all kids need from caring adults. You might pull out your outline if you want to. And uh, that caring adult could be a parent. That's mostly what I'm going after. But really, uh, grandparents, aunts, uncles, mentors, coaches, teachers, anybody who's not a hermit, whose life intersects that of a young person. What do all kids need? We've been unpacking that. I wish I could spend a lot of time at the front end catching you up for those of you that missed uh, week one and week two, but it's all online that you can listen to that if you did miss it, and I encourage you to to do that. But basically what we've been saying is that uh, to have an, an end game in mind, what would it look like if the kids that we were entrusted to, to parent and to care for and to mentor uh, had, a, had a sense of confidence and character and convictions and compassion and ultimately were competent people, that they weren't just taking up space on this playground that we call earth, that they could actually do something with their God-given skills. So we have that end in mind. What do we do to build into that? And I've been given these, so far, six actions. I've got four more today. We've talked about strong belief, ongoing affection, encouraging words, serious fun, delicate discipline, and activated responsibility. Now, last week, I got an email from one of you, and it was, it was great. Here's what he wrote. I told him I would keep him anonymous. I asked for his permission, but said I'll keep you anonymous. Uh, after church, we came home and we sat our six, seven, and nine-year-old daughters down. My wife and I said, quote, your mom and I learned at church today about being better parents. We're going to have some consequences around here when you make bad choices, and we aren't going to yell anymore. The seven-year-old said, I'd rather you yell. <laughs> The nine-year-old said, you guys shouldn't go to church anymore. (laughs) I could just see those kids saying that like, oh, wait, things are going to change. You're going to mess with my world that you've already created. I mean, parents are weird. Okay? I mean, I think of my, my own parents. I've shared this once with you before. I grew up as a teenager in the 70s here in Orange County, and um, I wouldn't say it was an abusive home, but I would say it this way. My dad was a, an accountant, and my mom was a seamstress. So if you put those two together, you just described hell for a teenager. Because the accountant dad would say, we can't afford it. And the seamstress mom would say what? I will make it for you. <laughs> So as a teenager, I go through school in Orange County in homemade clothes. Now, by show of hands, how many of you remember from the 70s OP shorts? Let me see. Oh, yeah, many of you. Now, if you don't, OP shorts, they were it. They were, you were cool if you had OP shorts. OP stood for Ocean Pacific. This is where trends start in Southern California. I'm right in the heart of it in, in Orange County. But my dad would not pay $28 for a pair of shorts. I don't care if they're lined with gold, Douglas. You know, that's, that's the lecture that I got. So my sweet mom said, I'll make you a pair. <laughs> and before I could say no, my mom had whipped out a pair of OP shorts, corduroy. From a distance... They look just like OP shorts. Until you got up close, on the pocket, there was no OP 
which is exactly the point of wearing labels. I mean, if labels weren't important to teenagers, you know, and we all make fun of our teenagers now, oh, you're so materialistic, because we forget we were too. Uh, but so my mom, I said, Mom, these aren't OP shorts. These are just generic brand shorts. I'm not wearing these. So two days later, I get them on my pillow with a bow. My mom had embroidered, <laughs> not OP, because she, she was scared of the infringement police. Uh, but she had embroidered D-P on the pockets for Doug's pants. So that was, that was what I grew up in. But as I look back at uh, my parents, they did a lot of things great. They did a lot of things goofy, uh, but they were sincere. They were sincere in what they tried to do and what they tried to pass on to me. And actually that that memory moves us to the, the seventh action that I think all kids need from caring adults, and that is positive memories. Healthy kids have great memories. So when it comes to our childhood, there's a flood of things that come back. And personally, I'm thankful for more good memories than, than bad memories, but truth be told, no family is perfect. And you as a parent, you are going to create some bad memories, You're going to act like a child as an adult and do something that's going to wound your kids. You're going to yell too much. You're going to create shame. You're going to get get angry and use terrible words. That's going to happen. But how beautiful that we get this long amount of time as parents that we can create more positive memories than the negative memories. Because in addition to my mom making my clothes... I can actually see things in my mind when I go back to when I was four or five years old learning to ride a bike. And I can remember my dad pushing me from behind the bike, and I can still remember my mom clapping, partly because her arms bicep thing just wiggled. I mean, everything clapped when my mom clapped, and I still still remember the joy on her face. I remember my dad coming home from work one time. He had taken my tennis racket to get it restrung. And instead of getting it restrung, again, my accountant dad, he brought a brand new tennis racket. And I just remember the thrill of being surprised by that. I remember my mom was at all of my games. I could hear her cheering, which was easy because I, I sat on the bench. Uh, but I could, I could still hear. I can remember my dad coming home and, and shooting hoops with me in the front yard or playing catch. And he wouldn't even take off his, his suit I mean, some days when he had a bad day, you could tell. It's like, Douglas, let me go change. But I just, I have that memory of my dad coming home, getting out of the car, bam, catching the football, shooting hoops in, in a suit. I remember vacations, driving across country. I remember as a little boy going through Mississippi and wondering where Mr. Sippy was. And uh, my mom just laughing so hard and the dog barking. And I gave the dog a lifesaver because uh, his breath was bad. He choked on it and threw up on my sister. I mean, I... <laughs> I remember that stuff. See, our lives are this, are this museum, and memories contribute to that museum. And every memory is like a frame in a film of one's life. And I know for some of you, your museum is a little darker. That your museum has memories of, of pain and hurt and abuse. And honestly, I am so, so sorry. And I don't pretend to understand your pain, 
But I do know that you can be the adult to stop that cycle and not pass that on to your kids, that I know you want a brighter future for them, and you can redeem that. You can redeem this whole idea of family by creating these, these positive memories. See, memories make up the foundation of who we are. And I will tell you that memories are very biblical. Actually, God wants us to remember If you were to take a a scope through the entire Bible, you would see the remember word used a lot. As a matter of fact, there's several memory builders, one called the Sabbath. It's a day to remember and to worship God the Creator, the Sabbath. There's the feasts, which were to remember that God is holy and He is a provider. There's communion. Why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? To remember what Jesus did on the cross for for us. In the Old Testament, there was all these rocks and memorials to remember what God had done. Take a look at Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, chapter 4, verse 9. It says, Only be careful and watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them, grandparents. We're to create memories. God is saying, that which is good, remember it. Not only remember it, infuse it and solidify it into your your heart and your soul. So as a parent, building memories is not optional. You are building memories. The question is, are they going to be positive memories or negative memories? So when the frames of experience are all spliced together in one narrative, is it going to be a positive narrative or a negative narrative? I mean, are your kids going to remember a mom who was a nag or a mom who was playful? A dad who wasn't present or a dad who was playful? Are they going to remember uh, their parents' marriage as they, were, they, were always, they always argued? Or are they going to remember their parents' marriage that mom and dad were, were crazy about one another? Are they going to remember parents who yelled all the time or parents who laughed a lot? See, there are going to be memories. Grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles, they're going to have memories of you too. Remember, your life intersects the life of other kids. Are they going to remember Grandpa the Grouch, Grandma the Grump, take your shoes off at the front door? You've got plastic on all your furniture because, you know, they're, they're coming over. You're more interested in Wheel of Fortune reruns than, than playing with them. No, you've got to make memories. So let me go really practical. I put a bunch of these in your notes. You know, the first just said make up traditions. If your kids are little, start now. What are the traditions in your home? What will your kids say? Every birthday we did this, or every first day of school, or last day of school, or Sunday night was spaghetti night, or every holiday we did this. You know, my dad would wake me up on flag day wearing a flag, you know, (laughs) nothing else, just a flag, and, you know, it's high potential for memory and therapy, but um, traditions add to the, the flavor. I actually brought this to show you because this is something we do, um, my my kids have been doing this since we were little. You go to a Chili's or this is Outback. You'll go coconuts for our shrimp. And we take these and we play mouth catch with them. 
And we have contests who can catch them. So you fling them across the table like that, and the other person has to catch them in their mouth. So it is really a simple game. You just go, ready? One, two, three. And you, you know, it's, we don't have that big of a table. But it's not as easy as it sounds. We did it when we were little, and you're going, Fields, you are insane. Well, my kids did not grow up in a bland home. Okay. My oldest is 25 in a serious relationship. We were out to dinner a couple weeks with her boyfriend in Outback. She's the one who brought it up. Dad, see how good John is. Like, okay, let's go. You know, it was just, okay. that's, that's what I mean by a tradition. Then I put in your notes, capture memories, photos. Every photo has a story behind it. For, you know, it is so easy now with everything, photos and videos being on your phone, that it ought to be happening all the time. When our kids were growing up, we would have contests. I would just give them the camera, and we would have photo contests at different places. And the ones that were the funnest to them is when Cody, my son, took a picture of a guy on a beach with a Speedo. I mean, he thought that was so funny as like a seven-year-old. I almost got the guys in a Speedo. You know, he'd never seen a Speedo before, and he's in therapy. Uh, but, you know... Uh, a cockroach on a hotel in Panama City Beach, Florida. I mean, people falling asleep on a, on a train that we were on. We were taking pictures of them. That all is the, is, tells the story. Capture those memories. I put in there, prioritize vacations. Because here in Orange County, we think, you know, there's just never a good time to take a vacation. That's true. So that's why you've just got to get it on the calendar and say, we're going. All family research, by the way, points back to vacations being the most, creating the most memories for kids. And it's not where you go that they remember, it's what you did with where you go. Several years ago, I spent too much money taking my whole family to Maui. You know what my kids remember about going to Maui? Is, Dad, remember when we uh, bought fireworks, which which were legal there, and we found that empty parking lot, and we we shot off fireworks. That's what I remember. <laughs> you know, that trip cost me thousands of dollars. I could have done that in Barstow and been an innovator. Okay, so you, you, you prioritize vacations. I put there create adventures. What are the adventures? For us, every spring break, we take our kids to, to Mexico and work in an orphanage or those who are less privileged, um, taking jackets to, to homeless people on, on Sunday nights, uh, going grunion hunting at midnight. If you don't know what grunion hunting is, look it up. You can all do it at, at the beach. Uh, if you have boys, anything that expresses intrigue or mystery or danger or automatic weapons... You know, all that stuff. You know, my son's birthday, I, when he graduated high school, I had kids coming up to me. Mr. Fields, do you remember that time when we were at... They all remembered me Take. I have some friends who live in Kodo, and at night we would sneak onto the Kodo golf course. And dressed in camouflage, face paint, we had a uh, pillowcase and a flashlight. And you go golf ball hunting. And it, you're not, it's not going to make sense to you until you try it. But when you put your flashlight in a bush, all of a sudden those balls, just the golf balls, just light up like Easter egg hunts. And we would walk out of there with hundreds of golf balls. So memorable. I think it's illegal. Uh, but <laughs> here's my point in all of this. Your kids would rather be in a beat-up, broken Volkswagen van headed toward adventure than... A really nice Mercedes 
parked in the driveway. Okay? That's, that's my point. How else you create memories and start this as soon as you can is start writing your kids letters. Write letters. Why? Because at some point, here's what they're going to ask. Does anybody love me? Does anybody even know I'm alive? There's tension in my life and stress and pressure. And is it even, does, does anyone even care about me? And then just imagine them having a box full of letters from mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, aunt, uncle, coach, mentor, teacher. Here's exhibit A. Okay. See, building memories is going to get you an A in parenting. And it is, it is never too late to start. I mentioned in the first message that my mom died a couple years ago in hospice, right in, right in the home. And as my mom was dying, she knew she was dying. She knew she had just weeks, if not days, to live. What was interesting about her is that she never said during that time as she's surrounded by her kids and her friends and just these sweet people that had invested in her life, never once said, hey, Doug, would you go to the attic and get me all my bowling trophies and just surround them? Could you, could you wrap me up in all the quilts that I, that I made? Could you, could you bring me a, a PowerPoint presentation of uh, my 401k and a pie chart? None of that. You know what? When, when mom died, it was photos. It was stories. It was memories. Everything summing up your life. So, my point, memories matter. And good parents make intentional memories. All kids need that. Number eight, what all kids need in caring adults is they need consistent presence. Consistent presence. The way you spell presence is T-I-M-E. One of the major contributing factors to healthy kids when you investigate their life, it's present parents, that kids need your time. And I realize it is very difficult to see tangible results when you give them time, especially when, when they're little. But presence is so crucial to their development. And I know there are some of you in here, you subscribe to the, the theory of quality time over quantity time. And if that's you, let me just tell you, you're wrong. Okay? You're just wrong. I mean, you can argue with me all you want. When you get to heaven, you'll, you'll see I was right on, on this one. People who subscribe to quality over quantity, they either don't understand parenting or they're just trying to ease the guilt of their own, their own mistakes. See, this idea of presence, it is a challenge to our priorities. It is always a challenge to our priorities and, and if I'm honest, our selfishness. Now, I've mentioned this a few times in the series. If you are a single parent, you're my hero. Okay? You are, you're my hero. I honor you for working so hard to hold things together. I really do believe in God's economy and his sovereignty that he is going to bless you as a single parent and your kids are going to rise up and call you blessed. But what kids won't call blessed are not the parents who are working to survive, but the parents who are overworking to drive the nicer cars, to live in the better zip codes, to have all the, the toys, to stroke their egos, and then blame the kids or the spouse that I have to work so much to maintain this lifestyle. 
See, your kids would rather have your, your presence than your presence with a T, your money, your, your toys. Presence matters. And this idea, again, of presence, this is very big to God. You guys think about this. This whole playground that we call earth was brought into existence by God's presence. Then God said, I love humanity so much and I want to restore humanity to me. God became present in the person of Jesus, the God-man. Take a look, John 1.14. So the word, we're talking Jesus here, the word became human and made his home among us. We can stop there. The word became human and made his home among us. Now, watch what happens then. Because after Jesus rises from the dead and ascends to heaven, you read, move into the book of Acts, what, what do we have with presence? He gives us the presence of his spirit. Absolutely, absolutely. Take a look at Ephesians 3, verse 16. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. See, presence is big to God. And now he's given us his unlimited resources. I, as a dad, I can become more present in in my kids' lives. And let me just tell you, Presence is not about you just being around your kids because a lot of people say, well, you know, Doug, I, I work at home. Well, that's great. But the key question, is it your body or your heart that's around? That's the major question. I mean, here it is. Do your kids really believe that you are available? Because the issue is not presence. Here it is, and I put it in your notes. It is perceived presence. There's a Harvard study that confirmed, the, and it's so fascinating to me, the number one most common factor producing anger, hostility, and rage in kids is this. The perceived, keyword perceived, the perceived inaccessibility of one or both parents. I mean, that's a head snapper, because you think, wait, you would think like anger, rage, and hostility would be something contributed, something more horrible, some type of abuse or poor discipline or not allowing your teenager to have a credit card or, you know, something like that. But thousands of studies, here's what it is, perceived inaccessibility. So then I've got to hold the mirror up as a dad and go, okay, what is, what is something that I'm doing for myself that has taken time away from my family. Now, that may be with my personal life. It actually may be with my career. For some of us in here, we need to make some mid-course corrections, even with our careers. Because parenting is synonymous with sacrifice. When you're a parent, it's about sacrifice. You sacrifice your, your comfort. You know, I've told you before that as my kids were, were growing up and I was coaching them in sports and my kids all had their friends over at our house or whatever, and I would go, I don't ever see your dad. How come your dad doesn't come to your games? Oh, my dad doesn't, he doesn't like basketball. You know, that's when I want to be a UFC fighter and punch somebody in the neck right here, okay? I just want to find that dad and go, Dad, you don't go to your kid's seventh grade basketball game for quality athleticism, okay? <laughs> Have you been to a seventh grade girl's basketball game? It's awful. 
You know, it, it's the sport that will be played in hell. It's like, uh, it's halftime scores, two to one. And you're like, oh my. You don't go, it's not watching the Super Bowl. You're, you're there for your, your kid. And parents, I realize, some of you are already feeling guilty. And I know, as parents, we can't make everything. I know you can't make everything. That's why this point is consistent presence and not constant presence. Okay, consistent presence. So missing is the exception rather than the rule. Because your very presence is a sign of caring and connectedness. Just showing up, being there, watching, observing. I realize we live in a sports psycho world. And for you parents, let me just give you an aside. Again, my kids are all out of the house. I wish I'd have, you know, it took me too long to learn this. When you go to your kids' games, just watch. You don't have to, co- don't coach from the stands. Don't go whisper in their ear during the game. Don't lecture them on the way home. If you, if you want to coach them, wait 48 hours before you say anything to them. See, what they need from you, mom and dad, is not for you to be a coach, but for you to be a cheerleader. That's what they need the, the most. So when it comes to presence, pre- parents, we've got to be present. And this one's going to bother some of you, and that's why I put it in your notes because I want you to think about it, is we've got to defeat the electronic dependency. This right here, mom and dad, this is not being present. Oh, yeah, hey. Okay, this, this little device, let me just give you a tip. I would encourage you, Stop using this in your car when your kid's in the car. Okay? When your kids are in the car, just make it a rule. Nobody talks on the phone. I don't talk on the phone. Okay. Now, some of you are like, Doug, I, I'd rather tithe more. You know, no, I, I, don't, I don't think so. You've got your kid trapped in the car. This is when you talk. This is when you sing. This is when you laugh. This is when you make jokes. This is when they're a teenager. You communicate in one-word sentences. I mean, this is when you've got them. Get off the phone and engage with them. See, our technological leashes, they maintain our availability to everybody else, but they're hurting primary relationships. See, when you're able to connect to everyone all the time. You're not connected to those who are most important. And I, I think this is such a big deal in our culture that very few people are, are talking about. I, just in the last few months, I, I wrote this workbook called Should I Just Smash My Kid's Phone? And it's a workbook for parents to go through before you do anything with your kid's phone for you to get a habit on your own your own understanding of electronics and what it's doing in your life first. And then if you, if you don't have some boundaries before you give your kids a phone, you're crazy. Okay? You're crazy. Just learn from people who have been b- before you. Now, now, please understand me. I have a phone. I have Facebook. I have Twitter. I'm not, I'm not anti-electronics. I'm not asking you to go buy a buggy and grow a beard and become Amish, ladies. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not asking you to run from appliances. But there are times when you've got to be totally available to your family to unplug from those devices. Because presence, here's what bottom line, presence communicates this. You're really important to me. 
you're, you're valuable. I care deeply about you, and you've got my presence. Grandparents, that's why in today's culture of moms and dads both working, you are so important. Because grandparents, you're present. You're so good at being present, and they need you to be present. You're not on your phone texting, mostly because you don't know how, but... (laughs) You're, so, you're not skipping pages when you're reading books to kids. I mean, you are, you are present. As a kid, I loved being with my grandparents. You know, on a sunny day, indoors, hearing about their different medicines and chronic health problems. I mean, it was beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. All right. The ninth thing all kids need from caring adults is role models, okay? Healthy kids have significant adults that have poured into their life. Two types, you, the parent, as a role model, and second would be others as a role model. Parents, you are a role model, okay? You are a role model, the primary role model to your kids. The only time that changes is when you abandon your role, then culture moves in and culture provides role models, But all research points to the fact that parents are primary role models. My middle child's 22. And when he was a little boy, he had a phrase. Watch me. Dad, dad, watch me. Okay, we'd be at church or something. I'd be talking to somebody afterwards, and he'd get on stage. He'd be like, dad, dad. Dad, watch watch me, dad, watch. Dad, 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 watch. You know, and he would do, he's just trying to get my attention. Watch, watch. And now that he's 22, he doesn't do it as much. (laughs) But here's what I've learned. Somewhere in his growing years, he moved from watch me to I'm watching you. I'm watching you, Dad. Didn't ever tell me. All my kids didn't tell me. But as a parent, you're under surveillance 24-7. I'm watching how you treat mom, dad. I'm watching what you do with your finances. I'm watching how you interact with strangers. I'm watching if you really live out what you talk about on on stage. I'm watching how you deal with conflict. I'm watching what you do with alcohol. I'm watching. I'm watching you. I'm watching what you do in moral situations. Parents, my point is this. You have... There's identity theft happening in your home. Your kids are stealing your identity. So the question becomes, what does that identity look like? A couple biggies for parents that I encourage you first is, I think parents, we've got to be very careful that we model integrity. And to model integrity, you have to be a person of, of integrity. You know, all school studies point to the fact that cheating is on the rise Is cheating on the rise because education is getting more difficult? I don't think so. I think it's on the rise because our kids have seen hundreds of little fibs along the way. And they've they've just learned that you can negotiate life that way. They've heard mom and dad on the phone exaggerating or lying about things that they know haven't taken place. They've been that child up at the movie counter or at the amusement park. And don't tell them your age. Don't tell them your age. We'll get in cheaper this way and 
you know, you don't act like an adult, so I sure ain't paying adult prices. You know, that, that type of thing. Or when you go to the donut store and you eat a donut on the way home, and say, don't tell, just tell mom they gave us 11, okay? <laughs> Purely fictitious illustration on that one. But it, kids possess the character of their parents. Integrity is a big deal, not only in our culture, it's, it's again, it's a big deal to, to God. First Chronicles 29, I love this verse. It says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and you're pleased with integrity. I love that verse. God knows your heart and you're pleased with integrity. Now, parents, all of us, we're going to blow it with integrity. And here's my little tip to you. When you blow it, Apologize. Just apologize to your kid. Well, why would I apologize? Because apologizing is an act of integrity. Your kids, they know you're not perfect. You, you, were, you were wrong. You know, sweetheart, I'm sorry that I, it was stupid of me. I was just trying to save money, and I made a mistake. I should not have done that. And actually, I'm going to go back and, and pay the, the right price for, for your ticket that was done. Hey, buddy, I, I need to ask for your forgiveness. Last night, I made a decision to not go to your game, to work instead, and I made the wrong decision. I blew it, and I'm sorry, and I'd like to ask for your forgiveness. Hey, pal, I'm, I'm sorry that I told you to tell mom that there was only 11 donuts, and I real, feel really bad that I told her that you ate one of them. Uh, <laughs> and, <clears throat> So they know you're not perfect, and so just admit it, model it. And I've, I've, I have had to apologize to my kids more than I want to admit. Okay? So when it comes to role models, you model integrity. Second thing, parents, I, I want to encourage you to do is model your faith in Jesus. Okay? Model your faith in Jesus. Now, I realize not everyone here has a faith in Jesus, and I'm thrilled that you're here if you don't. This is a safe place for you to come and investigate who Jesus is and the ways of Jesus and what does he teach and what's all this about. But for those of us who do have a faith in, in Jesus, your kids need to see that faith in action. The Bible is very clear that one of our roles as parents is to what I call pass on the baton of faith to our kids. Pass on the baton of faith. Look at this verse in Deuteronomy 6. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You're passing it on all the time, morning, noon, and night. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. So what am I to pass on? Well, look what it says in the last verse. Foreheads. What do you mean, foreheads? Foreheads is a symbol of knowledge. So I'm going to pass on the knowledge of the ways of of Jesus. What about your your hands? Hands is a symbol for action, faith. They need to see your faith in action. And let me be really clear. Your kids don't need to see perfect parents. There is no perfect parents. Perfect parents, all perfect parents do is is produce um, intimidation, and create insecurity. What my kids need to see is a dad who's aligning his life, doing the best he can to align his life with the teachings of Jesus. To see a mom who loves Jesus and has a desire to follow Jesus. That's what they need to see. Not me to wear a label Christian. Well, I don't even know what a Christian is anymore. 
but for them to see a follower of Jesus who has placed his life or her life behind Jesus and walks with him. That's what I mean by modeling faith in Jesus. Now, there's another type of role model, and that is others as a role model. And all research points to the fact that healthy kids, and this is what's interesting, healthy kids, regardless of where they grew up, Cambodian refugee camps, uh, the, the housing project slums in New York City, or to the middle wealthy class in Orange County. They all, healthy, all those kids have role models, those that are healthy from those environments. Role models, in addition to parents who are plugging away and loving on their kids. And that's why I love the, the church body. That's why this is so beautiful. There's just this army of people who are investing in one another's lives. Lives impact other lives. The church is a family, and families care for one another. And this is a place where people are trying to invest in in your kids. I encourage you to take advantage of that. Some of you that don't have kids, you don't have kids yet, or your grandparents, your kids are out. What if you thought, hey, I can invest in other people and get involved here in the, in the children's ministry or the youth ministry, get mentored. You know, we need to come alongside one another. There are single parents here who are so struggling. There are people, way, they're just dying for somebody to come invest in their kids and, and be a mentor, big brother, big sister. Let's do this as a community. Okay? So what do all kids need? They need role models. Finally, what all kids need in caring adults is they need, they need a peaceful home. Okay? Not a perfect home, but a peaceful home. And if your house is anything like mine, it might be chaotic. When my kids were in the teen years, we made our house a place where everybody could hang. I mean, there would be times that Kathy and I would come home to be met by complete strangers who were telling us we were out of ding-dongs, okay? I can remember one time coming home, and this, this kid is looking at a spill on our carpet. His name is Jason, and he's, like, doing this. And I walk up to him, and I say, Jason, what are you doing? Oh, Mr. Fields, Mr. Fields, put your head this way. Because if you look at the stain like this, it looks like the face of Jesus. <laughs> I said, Jason, I'm going to help you see Jesus a lot sooner if you don't clean up that, that stain, okay? So we have a busy, kid-oriented house. But one of the things that Kathy and I always strive for, having just studied kids, is that we wanted a, a, a peaceful home. So the question I put in your notes, in the long run, will your kids describe your house as a place of peace? Why peace? Because kids are in combat all day long. They're filled with painful battles, battles with bullies, battles with pressure, battles with conformity, battles with body image. And here's the deal. If a kid knows that he can come home to a house that is safe, where, where he slides through the door and it's almost like he just, I'm, I'm home. When they know that, how, that our home is a peaceful place, it helps them withstand some of the pressures and the stress and the comparisons and the put-downs and the temptations. And really, some of the things that I've been talking about in this series, I'm defining what a peaceful home is. Where there's discipline, but not a lot of yelling. Where there's boundaries, but not a lot of rules, that's, that's peaceful. 
where parents are welcoming to friends, encouraging words, affections, where the marriage at home is is healthy. That provides a sense of peace for kids, a freedom of comparison from their siblings, a place where kids can be themselves and they don't have to pretend. That's all a peaceful home. So how do we as parents, how do we turn up the volume of peace? Here's the only way I know how. How do you turn up the volume of peace in your house? Is you've got to experience peace for yourself first. You've got to experience God's peace. And let me go direct to you as we kind of close out this series. Some of you are parenting to please other people. Some of you are parenting to look good. And your kid's performance makes you feel better about yourself. Mom or dad, that's not a parent of peace. That's a parent of insecurity. And when you parent out of insecurity, you create an insecure and actually shame-filled home. If you want a peace-filled home, you've got to become a peace-filled person. And the biblical word for peace is absence of war. That's what peace means, absence of war. It means that you're not at war with God, you're not at war with others, and you're not at war within yourself. And war may seem a little radical to you, like war with God. But the Bible teaches that I am, as a sinful person, I am at war. I'm separated from a perfect and holy God. Because there's a perfect and holy God, I can't have a relationship with him. And that's why Jesus came and died a brutal death on the cross because he was perfect. He took on what I can't pay. He took on my sins so now I could have a relationship with God. Now I could be at peace with God. That's the good news. God in his love reconciled us together. Take a look, Colossians 1.20. And through him, Jesus, God reconciled. In your notes, circle that word. It's brought together. God brought everything together to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And now I don't have to be at war. Not only do I not have to be at war, I get the gift of his presence. Take a look at the next verse, Romans 8, 6. By letting the Holy Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So now, you and I, with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, we can be the initiator of peace in our, in our home. And if you've never settled that relationship with Jesus, I encourage you to, to, to lean into Jesus. Investigate him, follow him, look what he, look what he teaches, and, and invite his love into your heart. See, so your child needs a peaceful home. That peaceful home starts in your heart. Our theme verse in this whole series has been Ephesians 5.1. It says, follow God's example, therefore, say it with me, as dearly loved children. And my point each week has been this. When your identity is a dearly loved child, when you go, okay, that's who I am. You don't, that's how you parent. When you know you're dearly loved by God, then you can dearly love others. When you're deeply loved by God and you know that and that becomes your identity, you can deeply love others. This week I was in our, our rooted group and we were taught, people were going around talking about how they view God and one of the guys in my group said this, I've never felt valued by my parents 
And therefore, I have a hard time thinking God values me as a dearly loved child. And it made me think of the story that Jesus tells of the the prodigal son, where basically the son takes the inheritance, flips off his dad, and goes and makes these destructive choices, blows all the money, winds up basically in the ditch. And then he thinks to himself, I could go back home and be a servant to my dad because even the servants eat better than I'm eating. Now, as Jesus is telling this story, Jesus is saying, the father is God, and you and I are the son. Let's close with this verse. In Luke 15, it says, so he. I want you to put your name there. So Doug. So Kathy. So Kyle. So Caroline. Returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father, this is God, saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Can I tell you that God gets excited about you? You are his dearly loved child, that he runs to you, that he's a relentless pursuer of you. Because he wants to invade you and transform you. You want to be a better parent? I know you do. Well, quit running from his love. Let his love fill you deeply so you can deeply love others. Jesus, would you help us understand and embrace your love for us? May we exit this place knowing that that we are deeply loved that we might love deeply. May we experience your peace and may we parent from a position of of confidence as we love the, the children that you've entrusted to our care. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, you can clap for that. It's good stuff.